Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. If you're new to Bible Center, welcome. As has already been said, we want to help you connect uh, to our circle of spiritual friends. Uh, maybe this is your first time here. I want to let you know what's about to happen. I'm about to, like I do every Sunday, teach from God's Word. And we consider it a lot like a family conversation. So for those who have been followers of Jesus for some time, I, I mainly speak to them in this setting as we seek to grow in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to feel welcome as well. So if I say something you don't understand, feel free to ask questions. I'll be out in the lobby after the service and we're excited for what the Lord is going to do uh, in our hearts. Please take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And before I read, I'll just give us a refresher on where we are, where we've been. Several weeks ago, we launched a new series entitled, We Value. Our elders, our pastors, our staff, we collaborated for almost a year on these seven values to define what motivates us as a church family. We launched with the value of the gospel, but since then we've talked about the gospel or the value of family, the value of learning, and the value of city. You can hear all those messages by subscribing to our podcast or uh, going online or going on our app. It's all there to watch and to listen to. But this morning we're looking at the value of generosity. What is generosity? Simply put, generosity is the virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. So generosity applies to all of our life. It applies to our time. It applies to our talents. It applies to all manner of resources. But this morning, the, the direction the Lord has led me is to primarily focus on this idea of being generous with our money. You say, why in the world would this be one of our values? Why would we focus on this as a church? Well, if you think about it, it was one of Jesus' values. Jesus actually taught on money more than he taught on heaven and hell combined. It's been part of our value system as a church for 76 years since Bible Center was started in 1943. So many of you have been giving week in and week out so that we could see people come to faith in Jesus and, and grow in Jesus and be baptized and lead others to Jesus. It's part of our heritage. In 17 years of pastoral ministry, I have never been a part of a church that is more generous than Bible Center Church. And I've been in churches in Charlotte, been in churches in Louisville, and now back in my hometown in Charleston, West Virginia. I have never been a part of a church more generous than you, or even as generous. So it's part of our DNA. It's baked in by the grace of God. But you know what's also part of the value system of the church for over 2,000 years? Actually, for, for two millennia, generosity has marked the church. Now, I love history. I love the History Channel. If I'm sick and I'm home, my wife will tell you I'm going to spend the day binge-watching the History Channel, or now we have the Smithsonian Channel. I love history. So if you like history, especially church history, you're going to like this. This week, I learned of an article, actually a letter, that was written about AD 150, about 50 years after the last apostle died. So within a generation or two of Jesus, 
This particular letter is called the Epistle of Diognetus, for those of you who are interested in that. And again, it's just a letter written from an unknown person to a Roman official. This Roman official wasn't a believer, but he was trying to figure out why Christianity was spreading so fast in the Roman world. Here's the letter translated in English. Of course, it would have been originally written in Latin. It says, Christians busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They live in their own native lands, but they live as aliens, for every foreign country is to them as their native land. And every native land is as their foreign country. So it speaks to their lack of racism, their, their uh, detest, their, their, they, they couldn't stand racism. The letter continues, they marry and have children, but they do not kill unwanted babies. Even back then, there's this value of human life. They valued the life of children. They valued the life of the elderly. It says they share their tables with everyone, but they don't share their beds with everyone. They had a different sexual ethic. And then listen to this last one. They love everyone, but they are persecuted by all. They are poor, but they make many rich. They are sort short of everything, but yet have plenty of everything. They are treated outrageously, but behave themselves respectfully. When they are mocked, they bless in return. Now this morning as I preach on generosity, I hope you know my heart. I want something for you, not something from you. I want something for you, not something from you. The, God, the Bible tells us we're called to produce more maturing followers of Jesus. And according to Jesus, what we do with our money is directly connected to our maturity, to our growth in Christ. But beyond even what you give, my prayer this morning is that this message would, would help you live with margin so you can live on mission. I want you to be able to pay cash for your next vacation, to save for your children's education, to save for retirement, to create an emergency fund, to experience the joy of generosity in every area of your life. That's what I want for you. And so with that heart, we'll jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. Will you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I read the following this week, which was jarring, but I read it from several sources, and so it, there seems to be some accuracy. First, in the U.S., on average, only one-third of church attenders give any financial support to churches. Only one in three people who walk in the doors of the church, if this is like the national average, will give anything to their church. On average, Christians only give, those of us who, do, who give, give an average of 2.5% of our income, which is down from 3.3% giving during the Great Depression. Now, I want to ask this question. 
why is it that generosity seems to be such a hurdle for some of us? Why is it that generosity is, is so hard to discuss or so hard to live out? The two common reasons that I often hear are these. One, it's obedience. Well, pastor, we just need to obey. Now, we could really say that about everything in life, right? Like, why is it that we struggle with X? Well, because we just need to obey. And, and I think there's some truth to that, but that's more of a fruit issue, not the root of the problem. Others say, well, well pastor, the issue is, is margin. We just don't have a lot of margin. We overspend on so many other things, and so the reason we're not generous is because we don't have margin. Again, I think there's some truth to that, but there's so much more to it. Let's let Jesus speak on the issue because in Matthew 6, Jesus tells us the reason that generosity is such a hurdle. And I never thought about it until this week. According to Jesus, the biggest hurdle to generosity is fear. The biggest hurdle to generosity is our fear. We'll let God's word speak for itself. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. The entire chapter is about generosity. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, for what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? Do they not labor or spin? Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, he will, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If you're taking notes, this week I challenge you to write down and look up Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the story about a king who had three investors. He essentially had three financial advisors. The king gave five bags of gold to the first investor, and the investor invested it, and when the king returned, he had five more. He had a total of ten. The second investor, the king gave two bags of gold, and so the, king, uh, the, the investor invested it. When the king returned, he had two more, a total of four bags of gold. But Jesus told the story about this third investor, or this third financial advisor. He said he gave him one bag of gold. Well, the financial advisor did nothing with it. The investor did nothing with it. He, he took it and buried it in the ground until the king returned. And so when the king was taking tally of his investments and he saw the five bags and he saw the two bags, you get the idea that it wasn't the number of the bags of gold that the king was interested in. It was just the investment that the king was interested in. 
And he said, I didn't invest it. In Matthew 25, when the king asked him why, it is very clear. The man says, because I was afraid. Now let's think about obedience for a minute. If we say obedience is the biggest hurdle to generosity, let's think about why we don't often obey. Why do we not often witness? The Lord puts it on our heart to share the gospel with a neighbor or a friend. What is it that keeps us from obeying? If you're like me, the biggest reason most of the time is fear. So obedience is the fruit issue, but fear is the root issue. Let's think about margin. Why is it so often that we don't have margin in our lives? Well, if you think about it, it's often because of fear. We're afraid of our children not having the best clothes or the best vacations. We're afraid of not living in the best house or driving the best cars because we're afraid of what people might think. We lay in bed at night and we think things like this. What if the economy falls apart? What if I lose my job? What if I can't pay my bills? That's why I'm confident Jesus was accurate, which there's many reasons why Jesus was accurate, but I'm confident he was accurate when he said fear is at the heart of our lack of generosity. Now, how do we overcome fear? You know, according to the Bible, the only way to overcome one fear is to fear something else in greater measure. The only way to overcome fear is to fear something else in greater measure. Think about Proverbs 9.10. In all Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What is it that keeps our children from making poor choices? Well, hopefully we can instill within them a fear of the Lord. What is it that keeps us from making poor choices when no one else will see and no one else is around? Hopefully it's the fear of the Lord. Why do I... I'm scared of going to the dentist. Now, my dentist is a member here. A number of you, several of you are dentists in our congregation, but our dentist is a member here. I like him a lot, but I still get scared of going to the dentist. I went this past week, and they put the blood pressure cuff, which I don't understand. Why? I'm not going to the doctor. I'm going to the dentist, right? Like, why do you got to know my blood pressure? But it's always high. And I tell them, if you'll take my blood pressure after this is over, I'm telling you it's going to be lower. I just tell them because I'm scared of going to the dentist. But I'm more scared of my teeth falling out. So I go to the dentist. Why do we teach our children to go to school even when they're scared? Because we want them to be more scared of living life without an education. So in the next few minutes, the rest of the sermon moves quickly, but I'm going to do something I've never done in my three and a half years here. I am going to give you five things to be scared of. Five things to be scared. I want you to be scared of five things. And then we're going to close with a practical application about how you can be generous and take some steps towards generosity this week. Number one, what should we fear more than giving away our resources? Number one, living without reward. Living without reward. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. What should we fear more than giving away our resources? Living without reward. 
Now, a little context may be helpful here. There's been a famine in Palestine, and many people are in need. And so the Apostle Paul, one of the first missionaries and followers of Jesus, he's on a mission of famine relief. He travels around the Mediterranean to all the believers and all the new churches, gathering money to come back to Palestine and and to be able to fund, to provide for the Christians in and around Jerusalem. But evidently, some in the Greek church at Corinth were fearful of giving up their finances. This was a relatively new church, new believers, and, and they were fearful. It didn't make economic sense. How can I give something away without losing it, per se? But Paul says, no, you haven't lost it. It's the law of sowing and reaping. God promises to reward you for your generosity. Now, unfortunately, many TV preachers, televangelists have ruined this chapter by telling you things that aren't true. Some of them have said, well, if you give $100, God promises within a month to reward you with $1,000. Well, we know there's no verse that promises that. There's all kinds of craziness out there. But let us not disobey the scriptures out of fear of the crazy. There is a promise where God says, if you give in this life or in the life to come, you will be rewarded. Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Matthew 6, 3 and 4, the words of Jesus again. He says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So what do we need to be afraid of? More than being afraid of losing our resources. Number one, let's be afraid of living without reward. Number two, let's be afraid of living without cheer. Living without cheer. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What should we fear more than giving away our resources? Number two, living without cheer. Now, there's a couple of different ways we could translate this verse. Again, the Bible wasn't originally written in English. And so one way to translate verse 7 could be this. God loves it when one gives cheerfully. He's not saying that somehow people who give or receive more salvation than the people who don't. It's not what he's saying. But God loves it when we give cheerfully. There's another way to phrase it. There's a special place in God's heart for those who give. There's a special place in God's heart. for God gets excited when someone gives generously. Now, how do we get motivated to do this? One way we're motivated is through the gospel. We learn what Jesus has done for us. The Bible tells us that God created all things, but sin broke all things. Jesus Christ was born into this world. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the sacrifice for your sins and for mine. Every sin that you have ever committed was paid for on the cross of Christ. 
As a believer, that should motivate you. That should excite you. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave on the third day. And it's that message, Paul says, that motivates us for generosity. You could preach a whole message on giving just by preaching a message on the cross. Jesus gave it all. All to him I owe. But there's a second way that we're motivated. And this is interesting. It's in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. It's the words of Jesus. And I think this will really help some of you like it's helping and has helped me. Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I used to think this verse teaches that you wait until your heart is moved and then your treasure follows. But that's not at all what Jesus was teaching. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus is teaching the exact opposite. He is saying, you put your treasure somewhere, even if it don't feel like it, even if you don't want to. You put your treasure somewhere, and he says, I promise you, your heart will follow. We see this lived out over and over again with those of you who are investing in your children or grandchildren's college right now. Some of you went to a certain college and you said, I'm, I went to college A, I will never be a fan or supporter of college B. And then your kids choose to go to college B. And you've got like this whole wardrobe full of all the colors of college A and you're like, why in the world would they go to college B? But they go off to college B and they love college B. And before long, some of you, I've seen it. I've seen it. Some of you are wearing their hats. You're wearing the jerseys. Why do you do that? It's because when you're investing tens of thousands of dollars or some of you hundreds of thousands of dollars towards a place, it's amazing. Your heart starts to follow. I remember when Sarah and I got married. We were married 19 years ago, and I was still in college. She was in college, and, and I remember I was making $8 an hour, and we decided to begin to give. When we started to give to our local church, I still remember this, and we are not the model for giving in any capacity, but I'll share this story. I remember we started to give, and we're walking hand in hand across the church parking lot in Shelby, North Carolina, and I still remember there being a piece of trash on the parking lot. I wasn't a pastor. No one called me pastor. I was in college. And I remember picking up the paper, even before I really thought about it, why did I do that? Because I love my church. And I was invested. I gave, and then my heart soon followed after. The principle remains. If you want to get over the fear of giving away your resources, fear living without cheer. But God tells us, as we give, cheer will follow. Number three, what should we fear more than giving away our resources? Well, Living without a higher purpose. Living without a higher purpose. Notice what he says in verses 8 and 9. He's writing to this church. They're wondering, should we give? God is able, he says, to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, this is in the deep end of the pool. I said earlier that primarily my messages are for believers. And, and so if, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Paul is quoting an obscure Old Testament passage, Psalm 112, verse 9. 
I don't know why he chose Psalm 112, verse 9. His words are inspired by the Spirit. But he's quoting Psalm 112 in verse 9. And in Psalm 112, it's about a righteous man who gives up everything for the good of others. That's the summary of Psalm 112, verse, all the verses, but especially verse 9. And what Paul does here is just amazing. His words inspired by the Holy Spirit. He essentially says, the righteous man in Psalm 112 that we've all been aspiring to be like is actually God himself. God is the only one who fulfills Psalm 112. And so what he's telling this church is this. If you want to participate with God, if you want to invite God into your life, if, if you want to know the joy of working as a teammate with God, he says, give. We could say the same thing in a message about prayer. Hey, you want to draw near to God? Pray. We could say the same thing in a message about the Bible. You want to draw near to God? Read your Bible. But here Paul says, you want to draw near to God? Give. And with the flick of a pen on a check or the tap of a button on an app, you invite the Heavenly Father to partner with you and you partner with Him in what He's doing in the world. Now think about this in the life of Jesus. Let's take something simple like the, the story, the true story of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Actually, there was probably much more than 5,000, but it says that was just the count of the men. Sorry, ladies. So 5,000 plus. There was five loaves and two fishes that were given to Jesus. Could Jesus have fed the multitudes without the five loaves and the two fish? Well, absolutely. Like Jesus created everything. We find in the book of Colossians, Jesus was involved in creation. By his hand, everything was created, Colossians 1.16. He didn't need the five loaves and two fish. Could he have done it with a breadcrumb and a fish fin? Certainly he could have. But he chose to use the little boy's lunch that was given to him as an offering. I believe. So the little boy, and then it clearly says later in the text that the disciples collected so much food there was 12 baskets full. One basket for every disciple. He was trying to show the disciples and the little boy that God's greatest joy is using our resources in his mission. He doesn't need to partner with us, but he wants to partner with us. And along that same vein, our vision is to saturate the city with the gospel. God doesn't need Bible Center Church to saturate the city with the gospel. But the reason I'm so passionate about it is because I don't want us to miss the train. I want us to be a part of this. And when we give, God says, we partner with what he's doing in the world. If you want to get over the fear of giving away your resources, fear something greater. Fear living without a higher purpose. Number four, what should we fear more than giving away our resources? Living without the thrill of being continually resupplied. Living without the thrill of being continually resupplied. I'll explain it. Verses 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and the bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Here's the promise. 
if we give our resources for the grace and salvation of others, God will continually give us more and more resources to use in the exact same way. This is a, an image of not just supply, but resupply and resupply. You say, but Pastor Matt, my anxiety is saying that if I give, I'm going to do without. I might have to go without something that I need. Well, remember the words of Jesus. God wants you eating well and living indoors because you are resourcing his kingdom. God's going to take care of his own. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new grape juice. That's for you Baptists. New wine. God promises this will happen. I remember I had been on staff here for just a few months. It didn't seem like it had been very long, and, and still trying to get, wrap my mind around the finances of, of Bible Center. And the staff had done an amazing job. It was me that just needed to, to understand how things worked. And, and I remember on one particular occasion, my first year, we knew we were going to be behind almost a half a million dollars. And all the projections were coming in. We knew we were going to be behind and, and supporting our missionaries and reaching our city and buying goldfish for the kids' ministry and the staff. And we knew we were going to be behind about a half a million dollars. And, and I remember a church I come from in Louisville was about twice this size, but our budget wasn't even as much as, as this budget. Our giving wasn't as strong as there as it is here, but we also didn't have as many things going on there as we do here. And I remember just wondering, what, what's going to happen? So we called a prayer meeting. Lee Walker was in the prayer meeting. Our staff was in the prayer meeting. Most of our staff, most of our pastors. We were up in that room. and We prayed for the Lord to provide for our church, and provide for our staff, provide for our mission, provide for our missionaries. Lord, will you provide? We just begin to pray. During that meeting, Lee's cell phone rang. Now, uh, Lee Walker is my favorite person in the world, and he's in this service, but sometimes he forgets to turn off his cell phone. All right, let's just face it. Let's, he forgets to, so his cell phone rang. And Lee you know, has to take this. So we're in a prayer meeting, and Lee gets up and goes out of the room. We're praying for God to provide about a half a million dollars for Bible Center Church. And Lee comes back into the room probably five or ten minutes later. looks like he'd seen a ghost. And he says, I still remember him standing in that doorway right up there. Lee says, you're not going to believe this. He's holding up his phone. He goes, I just got a phone call. And coming to find out somebody who had passed away and left Bible Center totally unknown in their will. And the amount came to almost a half a million dollars. And they had set it up in such a way that we didn't have to wait one year and two years. It was just a matter of weeks. And God provided for this mission and for this family. I remember Sarah and I traveled in evangelism. I was a traveling evangelist for five and a half years. And I remember on one occasion, traveling is extremely expensive, which I don't recommend it. Uh, if, if you are... I remember on this particular occasion, we had some needs, and in order to get from point A to point B, things were running low. This was probably, two, this was 2003, because Caitlin was new. Um, she was just a baby, new, I guess. Um, and I remember the Lord just called me to, in my devotions to read the book of Exodus. And I told Sarah, I'm leaving the house, I'm going out into the woods, because that's what spiritual people do. You know, they leave the house and they walk out into the woods. And I open my Bible, you know, kind of one of the Sergeant York moments, and I start reading through the book of Exodus, and my eyes landed on the passage where Moses is standing at the edge of the Red Sea. God had not told him yet that the Red Sea was going to part. God didn't tell him how it was going to happen. 
God had told him he was going to take care of him, but he didn't tell him how he was going to do it. And if you read the book of Exodus, Moses turns to the people of God and he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, had Moses known what God was going to do, this story would have lost its impact. But Moses, according to the text, had no idea. He just knew God was going to do something. And right after that, God told him to put his staff in the water, and the waters parted so the people could flee the wrath of Pharaoh and walk across on dry land. And so I walked in the house, right? I just kind of want to try to be Moses. That's why I've got the beard going on. I walk in the house, 2003, and I told Sarah, we got this brand new baby, weeks old. We're getting ready to go to Walmart for her pictures that night. And I told Sarah, I said, God just told me to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. She's like, what does that mean? We, that's great. We, we, I said, God told, God's going to do something. By the time we left our house, drove to Walmart, we're about to walk in to go get baby pictures made for our brand new baby, I got a phone call. It was my dad from here in Charleston and said God had given him, somebody had laid it on, God had laid it on somebody's heart to give him a check to get to us. They didn't know our address. That was like 10 times the amount we needed to pay our bills for the next couple of months and fulfill our ministry. God has given so many of you stories like that over and over and over again. It is a joy. And what Paul is saying here, he doesn't want you to miss out on that. Don't live a boring life where everything is calculated and everything is ones and zeros. God says, go on an adventure and see what I do for my glory. And God will do amazing things as he resupplies us for mission. If we're going to fear anything, let's not fear giving away our resources. Let's fear living without the thrill of being continually resupplied. Last thing to fear. What should we fear more than giving away our resources? We should fear dying without a legacy. We should fear dying without a legacy. Paul says in verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, and that's important. So much of our budget goes to making sure that we take care of church for the Lord's people. And that's it's a beautiful thing. But, he says, it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. That was Paul's poetic way of saying, your giving also goes to many more people becoming believers and giving praise to God. Both are important. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your, accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their heart will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. And then Paul just, he can't help himself. He just says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Picture the man and woman at the church at Corinth. They're wondering, should they give to the Lord's work? Should they do this? The music is starting, just as I am is about to play. The mood is being set, and the offering baskets are about to be packed. Should we drop anything in? And Paul says, yes. Paul says, yes, because it matters for eternity. You will meet the people. You will see the people in heaven that you're giving helped reach with the gospel. A couple of names for you. How many of you have heard the name William Tyndale? Anybody heard the name William Tyndale? Tyndale, a lot of us have heard that name if you've been in church for a while. Uh, William Tyndale lived in the 1500s. He was an Englishman responsible for translating the Bible into English. 
Uh, prior to Tyndale, the Bible for about a thousand years had been in Latin. It was off limits to the common man, to the common woman. And, and so if you couldn't read it in the original languages, Greek and Hebrew or in Latin, you had no access to the Bible. But there was a man, here's, here's a name I wonder how many have heard of. How many have heard of Tyndale's friend, Humphrey Monmouth? Humphrey Monmouth. Anybody heard of Humphrey Monmouth? We got one, maybe two, maybe one, two, three, one of our retired pastors. Probably use this as an illustration. Henry Monmouth. Henry Monmouth, most of us haven't heard. I'd never heard of him in, until this week. But, excuse me, Humphrey Monmouth was a powerful businessman in England. And God used him to fund the translation of the Tyndale Bible. God used him to protect Tyndale because it was illegal. He could have died for translating the Bible into English. And he used his merchant ships to deliver the Bible all around then the known English world. When I get to heaven, I want to meet Humphrey Monmouth. I want to meet all the Humphrey Monmouths. Because God uses, yes, the William Tyndales, but God uses ordinary people like us, the Humphrey Monmouths, to give and fund the work that we might not even hear about until we get to heaven. Our vision at Bible Center is to saturate the city with the gospel. I'm so excited for what God is doing in the Maker Center and what He's doing in our foster closet and what He's doing in our special needs ministry and our Celebrate Recovery ministry and what He's doing in our children's ministry right now beneath our feet. What He's doing in our students and what He's doing in our groups. And I'm so excited for this. But there is so much more work to be done. If there's 186,000 people in Kanawha County, the studies say that only 10,000 of them will be in church Anywhere on a Sunday morning, 10,000 in an evangelical church on Sunday morning in Kanawha County. Now, let's just say those stats are way off. Let's say 50,000 of them are in church, which is not likely. But let's just say that there is well over 100,000 people right here in our county who aren't in church this morning and many of them who don't know Christ. There is nobody in China, to our knowledge, praying right now for Charleston, West Virginia. There's nobody right now, to our knowledge, in London praying for Charleston. Dear Lord, please send missionaries to Charleston. When I was in Louisville and I knew God was calling me back here to Charleston, I went to the head of one of the big denominations that I deeply respect, and I said, hey, are you sending church planters to Charleston? And he laughed. Now, he wasn't a mean guy, but he's like, no. We're not sending him to cities in decline. And I kind of got my feathers ruffled a little bit, kind of got aggravated, and I still get a little bit aggravated when I think about it. But here's my point. There's nobody to our knowledge that's going to reach this city if we're not passionate about doing it. Which is why we have realigned our budget and we have realigned our outreach structure and we're continuing to realign it because we believe if we don't do it, it may not happen. Or God may call somebody else to do it and we'll miss out. So, we want to be part of this legacy. Let us fear dying without a legacy more than we fear giving away our resources. What practical steps can we take? Quickly, number one, if we want to be more generous when we leave than when we came in, one way is to plan our life. It's to make a plan. Four Ps, make a plan. Plan plan our life. I get it. 
A message like this can be motivating, but can also be somewhat uh, guilt-driven. You think, Pastor, I would love to be able to give. But, but, you know, maybe a few months ago you were on your way into Walmart to buy some milk and somebody sold you like a solid gold helicopter and you put it on your credit card. And, and so now, like, you're paying those monthly payments on the solid gold credit card and you don't have any margin to be able to give. And so you hear a message like this, I don't want you to be defeated. I want you to be encouraged. We want to help you. Our goal for this message is to help you create a plan so that you can begin to give and be as generous as you want to be and get that gold, solid gold helicopter paid off or sold or whatever you, whatever you need to do. One of the ways we're doing that to help you create margin is offering a class. It's called Financial Peace University. It starts here in a few weeks. One of my good friends is teaching it, Brett Ashley. He's a financial advisor, financial coach actually here in Kanawha County. He grew up at Bible Center. Some of you knew Brett when he was a little boy. He's a Bible Center school graduate from yesteryear. And Brett has given his life to teaching classes and coaching in ways like this. Now, if you want to do this, don't wait till tomorrow. Just go to the app, go to the website, sign up for the class. I promise you, my wife got started in this before I did because I'm more stubborn than she is. And and she got started in this, and it is revolutionizing the way we do money. It's revolutionizing the freedom that we're starting to have to give and to serve and to love. And, And I will tell you, The things she learned and is teaching me, I want you to learn, which is why I invited Brett here. Sign up for the class. There's a cost, a small fee, but that fee doesn't go to Bible Center. It doesn't go to Brett. It's all for your uh, supplies online and the books that you'll get for participating in the class. Make a plan. Number two, prioritize your giving. Prioritize your giving. Automate what's important. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the way priorities work. When something is a priority, we, we, we do it first. We don't do it last. We, we, if, if God was coming over to your house for, for lunch, you wouldn't like serve everybody a plate and then give him what's left over. Most likely, you're going to serve him first. I told you I was going to be really, really transparent. If you want William Wallace as a senior pastor, you got the wrong dude, okay? Because I am on a journey with you, learning and growing every day. Uh, I had it in my mind that the best way to give is through a check. Now, I don't write a check for anything else in life. I don't think, my wife did, I don't think. But I was going to give a check to give because there's something, you know, spiritual and heroic about putting the check in the offering plate. Well, some of you are disciplined enough to do that, and kudos to you, but I'm not. I was always forgetting the check, or I wasn't writing the check. We would go two months, and I hadn't written the check, and Sarah's like, hey, wait a minute, something's backed up here. Um, so we, this summer, we transitioned over to our giving comes out automatic because I'm so weak. So if you go to the app, you can actually give to the ministry of Bible Center Church automatically for those of us that need that because we automate what's important. If you still prefer to give a physical check, let me encourage you to do that first and watch what God does with the rest. Prioritize your giving. Number three, percentage your giving percentage your giving in the old testament the percent started with the tithe it started with the tithe you say pastor what's the percent in the new testament the good news is there's no percent there's so many commands of the old testament that were not repeated or translated into the new covenant but what paul says here is this give figure out what that amount is figure out what that percent is and give generously 
if we all gave, of course 10%, but this is a figure, if we all gave 5% of our income, we could double our budget as a church and be out of debt in three years. 5%. I'm learning this. The 80-20 rule is so appropriate even to our finances. So many times it's 20% of the people who work in the nursery and 80% of the people who refuse to. It's 20% of the people who give and 80% of the people who refuse to. And what God is inviting us to do, take the next step. If you've not been giving, let me encourage you, pick a percent and watch what God does. It's planned giving, it's prioritized, it's percentaged. And by God's grace, number four, it's progressive. Progress in your giving and ask God to grow the percentage over time. Why in the world would I preach a message like this on Sunday mornings? It's five reasons I already gave. Because I want you to live with a reward. I want you to live with cheer. I want you to live with a higher purpose. I want you to live with the thrill of being continually resupplied. And I want you to die with a legacy. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.